We've already been talking about it, but it might have been on your mind a lot. When's life going to get back to normality? Um, You might have stressed over that question. You might have just kind of accepted that this is kind of a new normal and maybe you have found that all the less social interactions have actually played to your, you know, introvertedness and you're just kind of okay with it. I'm not sure. Um, But... I've heard it plenty, at least in the media that I listen to, people say, can we just skip 2020 already? It's been a bit of a catch cry. When you think about it, how do you actually define normal? Have we really got a normality that we can talk about? It's September 13th, which means it's two days since September 11. Uh, And while all the talk's been of the 20 years since the Sydney Olympics, it's also 19 years since that happened. 19 years, that's a long time, really. But it feels like it just happened. And I remember that was the big kind of life-changing thing that happened in my adolescence. Uh, I remember waking up in the morning, hearing it on the radio, and then turning the TV on and watching it, even seeing part of it happen live. But I thought about that. That that kind of turned our TV stations to, to give us rolling news coverage. And like for two or three weeks, I was kind of waiting for The Simpsons to come back on, but they just kept on having news updates, who did it, what happened, what's happening now, all the time. Now when you turn on your TV, you've gone from like five stations to like 50 stations on free to air, and two of those stations are rolling news coverage all the time. They're telling us news that's not even really news, just what this guy thinks and what she thinks, and it's just kind of a new normal. See, just in my reflecting, the last 20 years, I don't think it's a tale of normal at all. It's, it's a bump after a bump after a bump. We think we're in normality and then something else happens. Over that time, we have become more connected, haven't we? I mean, you're probably sitting here with one of these in your pocket. I'm reading off an iPad now. I wouldn't have been doing that 20 years ago. But... Even though we've got all this technology and it's kind of made us more connected, it actually has connected us more and more to the tragedy that's out there. The things that we have to face, the things that we see, the things that pop up, the things that are here. A fire's broken out here. And you know about it just like that. You hear about things happening across the country. You hear about things in countries right across the world within moments of them happening. Just think about this. Less than 12 months ago, some of you weren't allowed in your homes because there was bushfires. And then within a couple of months, you were locked in your homes because there was a virus outside. I mean, what is normal anyway? Maybe it's got you asking questions. Maybe this time you've really been questioning a lot, like actually in your heart, unsettled with questions. Maybe you haven't had those conscious questions, but you've just had feelings where you're unsettled you just can't relax finding it hard to find any kind of stability or normality or or just a rhythm see but the problem doesn't just reflect the last 20 years like back to when i was 15 or 16 it it goes back 30 years it goes back 50 years maybe that's your lifespan maybe you're older than that and you can recognize this pattern over and over and over. you just got to do a bit of history. Hundreds, five hundreds, thousands of years. This is the story of humanity. Bump after bump after bump. 
And if you really pay attention to it, you'll continue to realize that the idea that we can just lead normal, quiet lives that enjoy freedoms, it's not something that we can ever take for granted. So a popular phrase has been to just give up on 2020 and just wait for 2021. That somehow, just by waiting it out, things are going to get better by then. But I can tell you that any student of history, even if it's just your own history, that you will face bump after bump after bump. Now, the instability of this coronavirus, it actually reveals an even deeper existential problem. Because that's not just any old threat, is it? That's the threat that you can die. Our stats are pretty good as a country, but you just look at this worldwide. COVID-19 is deadly. It's not just bad, it's deadly. Now, the lockdowns that are happening, they've got their own effects too. They're deadly to our, well, they put death to our freedom, don't they? They're killing parts of the economy, which are actually really important things on how they affect our lives. Now, this all happens while, like, normal stuff goes on. People have still been diagnosed with cancer this year. You might have had to put someone in a home with dementia. People still have heart attacks and strokes. This is just, I mean, we face that anyway, don't we? Poor physical health. And then add into all of that, just that hopelessness that people are feeling. Mental health plummeting. In Australia, the stats are like this. From March to July, for every one person that died of coronavirus, six people took their own life. Just let that sit with you. Just this year, and we haven't had that much time in church like this, but when we've thrown around prayer points, how frequently has someone here had to ask for prayer for themselves or for a family member or for families that they know because that's happened in their family? Well, in a moment, we're going to watch our Bible reading today. There's a really um, great resource. It's called the Lumo Bible, where some actors have really helpfully brought the Bible to life by acting it out. And there's a voiceover that reads the words, word for word, out of our Bibles. But as you hear the words of John 11, and they're printed there in your sheet so that you can follow along with them as well, I want to just tell you and read for you first the key verse that you're going to hear here. The words of Jesus to listen out for. In verse 25 and 26, Jesus said, I am the resurrection and the life. The one who believes in me will live even though they die. And whoever lives by believing in me will never die. So we're going to watch and then I'll come up and speak to what this Bible verse says.
So the sisters sent word to Jesus. Lord, the one you love is ill. When he heard this, Jesus said, this illness will not end in death. No, it is for God's glory, so that God's Son may be glorified through it. Now Jesus loved Martha and her sister and Lazarus. So when he heard that Lazarus was ill, he stayed where he was two more days. And then he said to his disciples, let us go back to Judea. But Rabbi, they said, a short while ago, the Jews there tried to stone you, and yet you are going back? Jesus answered, are there not 12 hours of daylight? Anyone who walks in the daytime will not stumble, for they see by this world's light. It is when a person walks at night that they stumble, for they have no light. After he had said this, he went on to tell them, Our friend Lazarus has fallen asleep, but I am going there to wake him up. His disciples replied, Lord, if he sleeps, he will get better. Jesus had been speaking of his death, but his disciples thought he meant natural sleep. So then he told them plainly, Lazarus is dead. And for your sake, I am glad I was not there so that you may believe. But let us go to him. Then Thomas, also known as Didymus, said to the rest of the disciples, let us also go, that we may die with him. On his arrival, Jesus found that Lazarus had already been in the tomb for four days. Now Bethany was less than two miles from Jerusalem, and many Jews had come to Martha and Mary to comfort them in the loss of their brother. When Martha heard that Jesus was coming, she went out to meet him. But Mary stayed at home. Lord, Martha said to Jesus, if you had been here, my brother would not have died, but I know that even now God will give you whatever you ask. Jesus said to her, your brother will rise again. Martha answered, I know he will rise again in the resurrection at the last day. Jesus said to her, I am the resurrection and the life. The one who believes in me will live even though they die. And whoever lives by believing in me will never die. Do you believe this? Yes, Lord, she replied. I believe that you are the Messiah, the Son of God, who has come into the world. After she had said this, she went back and called her sister Mary aside. The teacher is here, she said, and is asking for you. When Mary heard this, she got up quickly and went to him. Now Jesus had not yet entered the village, but was still at the place where Martha had met him. When the Jews who had been with Mary in the house comforting her noticed how quickly she got up and went out, they followed her, supposing she was going to the tomb to mourn there. When Mary reached the place where Jesus was and saw him, she fell at his feet and said, Lord, if you had been here, my brother would not have died. 
When Jesus saw her weeping, and the Jews who had come along with her also weeping, he was deeply moved in spirit and troubled. Where have you laid him? He asked. Come and see, Lord, they replied. Jesus wept. Then the Jews said, See how he loved him. But some of them said, Could not he who opened the eyes of the blind man have kept this man from dying? Jesus, once more deeply moved, came to the tomb. It was a cave with a stone laid across the entrance. Take away the stone, he said. But Lord, said Martha, the sister of the dead man, by this time there is a bad odor, for he has been there four days. Then Jesus said, Did I not tell you that if you believe, you will see the glory of God? So they took away the stone. Then Jesus looked up and said, Father, I thank you that you have heard me. I knew that you always hear me, but I said this for the benefit of the people standing here, that they may believe that you sent me. When he had said this, Jesus called out in a loud voice, Lazarus, come out. The dead man came out, his hands and feet wrapped with strips of linen and a cloth round his face. Jesus said to them, Take off the grave clothes and let him go. What an awesome pronouncement. The dead man walked out while we're looking at this passage we're going to trace back to the start now and and just i want to show you just in this all the reasons all the reasons that we have to hope in jesus and what he says here and what he ultimately does so here in this scene and in these verses it's the answer to a world plagued by the death problem those words, you can live even though you die. Belief in Jesus, meaning never really dying. This has got four movements in what we've seen. The news first that Lazarus was sick and how Jesus deals with that. The comfort that Jesus gives to Lazarus's older sister, Martha. The comfort that he gives to Mary, the younger sister. And then that amazing scene of him raising him to life and as we look at each of these movements i want you to notice four things the first being that jesus is in total control and you can bank on that that when it comes to the intellectual questions and the 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 questions that that plague us jesus has got the answers the third thing that we're going to see here is that jesus is the one that that has the heart to give the comfort that we desire and that in what Jesus does, fourthly, he offers us living hope. See, Lazarus, Mary, and Martha were, were really close friends of Jesus. 
in Jesus' time, illnesses were, were, you know, really dire. There were no hospitals. There were doctors, but they didn't have the kind of, it was nothing like we would respond to in this similar situation. But we can see here that Jesus is in, in control, even of a terrible situation. See, when Jesus hears this news, I want you to notice first in verse 4, his reaction. Jesus says, this sickness will not end in death. No, it's for God's glory, so that, the God, so that God's Son might be glorified through it. Here Jesus shows that he's confident at the very beginning, at the first hearing of this news, that Lazarus is not going to end up dead. And that sets the scene for everything else that happens here. See, Jesus is going to do something, but it's not what any of us expect. And it's certainly not what the people coming with the news were requesting. He says what he's going to do is going to do more than just heal Lazarus. He's concerned about something more. He, he's concerned about it revealing God's glory. And not just kind of showing off God's power, but actually helping the people that are being impacted by this to know God's goodness to have it revealed into their heart, that, that it might actually produce belief and faith and ultimately hope. Now, Jesus is acting weirdly, and everyone's kind of a bit, un, you know, on edge with him. What is Jesus doing here? Because in verse 6, Jesus explained that he's deliberately not going to go there. He hears the news, and instead of doing what most of us do when we hear bad news, rush to our feet, think, what are we going to do? Or rush in a huddle, kind of thinking, what, what on earth can I do? He just sits. It's extra strange when we're told so clearly that the sisters, um, so the sisters sent word to Jesus, Lord, the one you love is sick. We already know about how much this guy Lazarus means to Jesus. And in verse 5, it repeats it, that Jesus loved Martha and her sister. Jesus is like close with these guys. You would think, if he loves them so much, why isn't he going to do something about it? Everyone would have been thinking, Jesus, you've got to get there. Because either Jesus is powerful, he can go there and he can heal him out of love. Or even if he loves them so much, he can go there and at least be with them to give them comfort as they grieve their brother, to be a friend to them. But no, he's got something bigger planned. A deeper love. See, like I've said, verse 4 says it won't end in death. But that doesn't mean that Lazarus isn't going to die. Just let that sink in. If Jesus did immediately leave, he still wouldn't have made it before he died. But that didn't stop Jesus at other times. There's other accounts where Jesus resurrects people or stops them dying or heals them without even being present with them. He just says it and it happens. So what's the deal with Jesus waiting around two days? It was actually so that everyone knew for certain that Lazarus was dead. See, in the first century, among Jewish culture, there was a superstition. A superstition that your spirit, some, this is not true, but this is what they kind of culturally believed, hovered over the body. For three days it could re-enter the body or, or actually go and, and be wherever it's meant to go. And so they often waited three days before they did anything with the body to be certain that its soul had departed and that, it, that they were actually dead. 
that Jesus is in control here. He wants to be really clear with everyone that Lazarus is D-E-D dead, like actually dead. His disciples are, are puzzled by his weird behavior. But Jesus eventually says, like two days later, okay, now guys, it's time to go. And by this stage, they've kind of forgotten the pressing news of, of Lazarus as being sick. And now they're wondering, is that really a good idea? That means going to Judea, Jesus. People out there, they're out to get you there, Jesus. Should we really be going there? Now, Jesus says, Lazarus is asleep. I need to wake him. It's just more confusing, isn't it? Could you imagine being one of these disciples thinking, who's this fruitcake? But they're more confused. If he's asleep, won't he just get better? And so Jesus is really plain with them, looks them in the eye and he says, no, he's dead. But Jesus is in control and listen to what he's really saying. In the hands of Jesus, death is like sleep. What a profound thing. This existential threat, this thing that in our world right this year has come to the fore of a lot of people's minds, in the hands of Jesus, it's like sleep. He's more powerful. See, Jesus is controlling, he's controlling all these circumstances because he wants to produce in his followers belief. That's what he was going to bring out of this circumstance. A belief that gifts them hope. He's not intervened, intervened so that Lazarus will die, but in order that Jesus might raise him to life. In order that the people that are mourning will know that there is actual hope in what they're facing. So if this is how Jesus acts, just preempting a few more things I want to say. What could Jesus be allowing you to go through at the moment? that he's more powerful then, that he might produce belief in your heart? That's a question for Christians and non-Christians, isn't it? We've all got to ask that question. But many of you do have testimonies of this year and, and the way that God has just built you up through it. Where instead of God giving us solutions through changing our circumstances, we've just felt him hold us. And carry us and, and, and know that whatever we face, that we come out the other side safe and with him because he is in control. And that's what we see from this first scene here. But then Jesus does go and he gets there. He, does, he doesn't want to just go and fix the problems as they present. He actually wants to go there so that he might heal the hearts of the people that are there. See, Jesus is so big that he can rise above the tragedy and bring comfort and hope. So four days have passed. There's no doubt that Lazarus is dead. And then we meet Martha. She comes out to meet with Jesus. And she just goes straight up to him. Lord, if you had been here, none of this would have happened. It's a pretty big statement. But isn't that a common attitude that we have to God? If God had just done something, it wouldn't, I wouldn't have to be dealing with this right now. It might have been a cry that you've asked now or at any time in your life. Where are you, Jesus? Or as you look back on your life, where were you? Now, I've played that up a bit. She's not actually that confrontational because we read in verse 22. She says, but I know that even now 
God will give you whatever you ask. She's still hopeful that Jesus is going to do something here. And Jesus says to her, your brother will rise. And she's like, yeah, I know he's going to rise. Like, I understand that, you know, the bit about heaven afterward. It's all going to, yeah, I get that, Jesus. But it's not what he means. Martha is either someone that has those intellectual questions or she's someone with that kind of searching heart. And her reaction to what's in front of her is seeking answers. Maybe you can identify with her. But it's into those seeking answers that Jesus comes out with what I've already read. Verse 25, I'll read it again. I am the resurrection and the life, Martha. The one who believes in me will live even though they die. And whoever lives by believing in me will never die. Do you believe this? He says to her, I'm here with you. And I am the truth. Do you believe this? I am the life. Do you believe this? I am the way. Do you believe this? Do you believe that there's hope now for this situation? Do you know that I am in control? See, Jesus acknowledges her questions. But he can assert that the hope is not just an idea. It's not just an answer that comes off his lips. It is him. He is the hope there standing in her presence. Not just a distance idea. See, hope is not just wishful thinking. Christian hope is not just this, this kind of dream that it might get better. It's Jesus here with us in our circumstances, in our lives. It's not some kind of gamble that it might pull through. So in this situation, his presence means resurrection hope. It means seeing her brother alive again. And this hope is certain. And so Jesus comforts her with this truth. And having given that comfort, Martha says, Mary's got to come here. Mary's got to come here. But Mary, when she arrives, she's in a completely different state. She's the blubbering mess, isn't she? Okay, her, her crew that are crying with her, they would, it would have been really loud. Not like the way that we do it. Culturally, they would have been... 100 decibels, crying. Martha came out to see Jesus and she needed that chat. She needed to talk. But Mary comes in a hurry with all the signs of, of the kind of chaos that you get hurled into in these kind of tragedies. But notice in verse 32, she asked the same question that Martha did. Lord, if you had been here, my brother would not have died. Where were you, Jesus. Jesus knows that he's, he's got to deal with this differently to Martha. He's not going to say something to her. It says there that Jesus was deeply moved in his spirit. He's troubled by the pain that he sees her in. She doesn't need to talk. So what does Jesus do? In verse 35, Jesus wept. Jesus wept. And the tears that came from Jesus' eyes give her an answer, but it's not an answer that comes with words. It's the answer that shows that Jesus, that God, is a God that is moved by our situation. 
that he loves us. That he's even here in Jesus to suffer with us and ultimately to suffer for us. What a God he is. He's got the power to heal and to save. That he can be confidently in control. That he can give the answers that someone might need to hear and he can cry the tears on the shoulder with someone in comfort. Being moved by what's happening in front of them. Now, of course, all his comfort and hope rests on what Jesus does next. He says, take me. Take me to where he is. Take me to his tomb. Martha, she's still doubting, isn't she? She's like, Jesus, come on, it's going to stink. He's been in there four days. I think if you've got a King James Version of the Bible, it says, he stinketh. Gross. Mary would have still been a sobbing mess as they approached the tomb. But Jesus again encourages them, believe in him, trust him. He is the resurrection. He is where life is. He orders that the stone be moved and Lazarus walks out alive for all to see. See, from start to finish, Jesus has been in control. He's been four days in the, Lazarus, four days in the tomb. 100% dead. He's been able to come into the scene and comfort with his words. He's been able to come in alongside Mary and comfort her with her tears. But ultimately, he's able and he is willing to overcome the problem. To overcome the problem of death. Jesus is able, sorry, Jesus allows the time to confirm that he's dead. What is Jesus allowing in your life so that you will seek him? Martha seeks Jesus' answers and she finds reassurance. What questions are plaguing you that you need to be taking to Jesus? Mary, she seeks Jesus' comfort and she finds his empathy. She finds his compassion. What do you need to come to Jesus with, with your tears, and seek him over? See, all along, a phrase that gets repeated through this, as John tells it to us, is that Jesus loved them, that he loved them, that they were dear to him. The crowd looks at it, they name it, see how he loved them. Jesus loves you. He cares about the detail of your life, detail that you don't even know. Jesus loves you deeply. Jesus loves your friends. Thanks if you came and visited us this morning, but we've been promoting this for weeks that bring someone along today. And maybe you tried, but I tell you what, the comfort that you know from Jesus There's people that live without that hope that are driven to the worst possible situation because they can't find that hope. Maybe what I've shared with you today gives you words, gives you an understanding, gives you some confidence to make more approaches to people that you love and care about.
or even the ones that you don't even know that well, but you can see are without this hope. All along, Jesus loves them so much that he allows the whole thing to play out so that those he's with and even Lazarus himself will know that Jesus is the resurrection and is the life. So that the one, like he says, who believes in him will live even though they die. See, Jesus here in this scene is about one week away from his own death. And he's a bit further away from his own resurrection, where he himself will go through this process and come out victorious on the other side. That's the real reason that he can say this, not just because even miraculous as it is, he can bring someone else to the, from the dead. He himself, God's own son, will go through this. Right after these verses, if you've got a, a Bible in front of you or look it up later, we read that some people do believe in response to what Jesus says here, but other people don't. And the ones that don't, it triggered their plotting his death. And the high priest there who wanted him dead says this in verse 50. I'll read it for you. You do not realize that it is better for you that one man die for the people than the whole nation perish. And to that, John, the author here, writes, he, that is Caiaphas, the high priest, did not know this on his own. But as the high priest that year, he prophesied that Jesus would die for the Jewish nation. And not only for that nation, but for the scattered children of God to bring them together and to make them one. What an incredible thing. This drives some people to want to kill Jesus. And one guy that's leading the charge says, it's better that we just get rid of this troublemaker now. And even as he says that, he doesn't realize that Jesus is in control and that that death that he dies is our gateway to a relationship with this God that cares for us so intimately. Jesus is absolutely in control. And I pray that that gives you all the comfort that it should, all the comfort that is packaged up there to sustain you, to keep you walking. We long for a saviour. We've had a wild year. We have a crazy world that we live in. One tiny little microscopic virus you can't even see. And there's chaos throughout the world. They call it a pandemic. What a, what a crazy thought. Multitudes of people dying, e economic collapses, lockdowns, mental health triggers, suicides. We desperately need something to hope in. But in Jesus, we don't have to look any further to find it. See, our freedom to move about, to make money, to enjoy life, to have global trade happening, to have global adventures, you know, hopping around on aeroplanes, that's what we see people put their hope in. But it doesn't hold up. You just can't hope in those things. Some of them you can receive as good things, other things you need to reject, but... But in all of that, Jesus does hold up. Jesus didn't just claim a resurrection. He performed one. He is now risen. He now lives in this world of brokenness, broken by sin. We know of Jesus broken on the cross for that brokenness, resurrected to prove that he overcame it and alive to walk with each of us now. 
But maybe he will comfort you with answers in this season. Maybe he will grieve with you in this season. Maybe he will give you hope. But I want to just leave you with his words. Let this ring true in your heart and in your life and just in your ears. Jesus said, I am the resurrection and the life. The one who believes in me will live even though they die. And whoever lives in me by believing in me will never die. Do you believe this? Father, we thank you so much that when we plumb into these these verses, into this story, Lord, this event that happened a couple of thousand years ago, Lord, that it brings us right to the heart of where you are, Lord, in loving us, in caring for us, in being in control of of what seems like out-of-control situations. And Lord, I thank you that this is true in this generation, that it's been true in generations past, and it extends into the future. Lord, that the hope that we have in Jesus is so sure because he's alive. So Father, I just pray that you would build each of us up in belief. Lord, if we've come here today not knowing you, I pray that that belief would be born in us. Lord, if we've come here today kind of estranged from you or distant from you, Lord, renew that belief in us. And Lord, whatever else we've been through, And Lord, even if it's knowing with certainty all these truths and confidently, Lord, I just ask that you would would not let us shift away from the truth that you are the resurrection and the life. Lord, that we might believe in you and that that belief might produce hope. In Jesus' mighty name we pray. Amen.